On October 10th, we shared with the church family that Stephen Souter was an elder candidate, and we had asked members of Crosspoint to, uh, to share affirmations about where they're seeing a connection between here's the qualifications of eldership laid out, of, laid out in 1 Timothy and Titus, here's Stephen's life, and here's where we see these line up, and to share affirmations in his life to him as well as to the elder team. And so that, over the past few weeks, we've heard nothing but affirming, and so we are excited to be able to be able to pray for him and lay hands on him as, a, as an elder and commission him in that role today. So before we pray for Stephen, I want to charge him and charge uh, our own elder team, Joel, Mike, Ben, and myself, with uh, some reminders from the scriptures about what we are called to do as elders, and then also want to give a charge to you as the church, and then we want to pray over him. So Stephen, you've been called to be an under-shepherd in the chief shepherd at Jesus Christ's church. As an under-shepherd, your ultimate calling is to follow the chief shepherd, to humbly come under his loving authority and direction, to listen to his voice through his word, and to follow, to reject self-centered motives and personal pride, and to pursue instead humble obedience, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to abide in the Lord, to remain connected to the vine because you as a branch need him and are dependent upon him. And it's through abiding in the Lord that we will bear much fruit. This is your first and highest calling. In becoming an elder, your identity in Christ has not changed. Your identity is not in what you do for him, but in what he has done for you. And you currently, long before eldership, are an adopted son and a fellow brother in the family of God. As an under-shepherd in the family of God, start by shepherding and leading your family. Don't skip over your primary role to love Lauren like Christ loved the church and make disciples of home at home with William, Keiko, and Emmy. Your way of life in Christ at home serves as a testimony to others. As an under-shepherd, feed the flock of God at Crosspoint with the Word of God and protect them from false teaching and doctrine that would lead them to pastures that are dry and destructive. Be on guard for yourself and for the, for the flock and be committed to knowing, living, and teaching sound doctrine. Comfort and care for the flock. Care and pray for the sick. Comfort the suffering. And the, as the Lord is present with us in our suffering, be present and prayerful with the people of God. Lead the flock. Oversee the ministry and mission of the church and help us as a church to be a disciple-making, kingdom-building, God-glorifying church. A church that stands out like a city on a hill and a light to the watching world. As an under-shepherd, pursue the wandering sheep. Pursue them in a spirit of, that is full of grace and truth in the same way that Christ pursues us. Pray for the flock that you've been entrusted to. Lift their names to the Lord in prayer, for none of us know the supernatural effect our humble prayers can have in the lives of people and in this world. And as an under-shepherd, continue to lead us as a church to pray for and pursue the lost as a mission-minded church. Jesus tells us in Luke 15 that the good shepherd is not just concerned with those who believe and follow him, but also with those yet to trust in him. And as a church, we want to be about that mission, a mission that heaven rejoices when one is found, rescued, and brought home. Now a charge to you as the church family, the flock of God, four things. Pray for your shepherds. I will tell you spiritual warfare is strong at the front of the lines. It is easy to slip into a spirit of discouragement and weariness and apathy. And so pray for us as an elder team. 
encourage your shepherds. Ephesians 4 gives us this command to use words that build one another up, words that would give grace to the hearer. So speak words of life that build up, that speak God's truth to your leaders. Next thing, join with your shepherds. The church is at its healthiest when the body of Christ is actively engaged in the ministry. Our role as leaders, according to Ephesians, is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So keep engaging in life around here. Join with us as we serve, as we give. Don't be passive in the flock, but be active. And then finally, follow your shepherds. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account, so that they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Elders have been entrusted to watch over your souls. So welcome their shepherding and their care for your heart and your life. For ultimately, under-shepherds are simply seeking to reflect the good shepherd to you. It's for your good and for your joy. So, uh, Stephen, you want to come up, and Lauren and the kids, and uh, Joel and Ben and Mike. You guys want to make your way up. Also, encourage the church to come up as well. This is a chance for us to collectively gather around Stephen, gather around Lauren, pray for their household, pray for his role as an as a, uh, under-shepherd here, as an overseer, as a pastor here. And so uh, for those of you who call Crosspoint home, I encourage you to come up now. And uh, Joel is going to pray for Stephen. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we come to you this morning as the family of God. Uh, first and foremost, to recognize you as our Lord, the one who gives us life, the one who gives us breath, um, to glorify you as a way of life. And we lift to you this morning, Stephen Souter. Um, we love and appreciate the opportunity to pray over him together as a family of believers. We pray this morning that um, as we gather here to lay hands on Stephen, uh, that you would continue to fill him with your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the ways that he uh, has um, submitted his life to you uh, up until this moment. God, how you have done a work in his life, that your grace uh, has filled him uh, as a believer in Christ. As we walk forward, Lord, we ask you to continue to cultivate in him a heart that follows you in his personal life, at home with Lauren, William, Keiko, and Emmy, in his life um, at work as he walks along the road, as, as we gather here as the family of believers, in all aspects of his life, that he would follow you, uh, seek you, and be devoted to you. God, we thank you for the family that calls Crosspoint home, and the opportunity to serve you together as one family of believers. As we walk forward today, we pray that um, everyone here that calls you Lord and Savior would be devoted to you as a way of life. God, that um, Stephen would be devoted to you as a way of life, and in that you would be glorified. God, we pray that as a family we would be dedicated to one another, um, that through the life of Stephen Souter we would see dedication to one another, and that you would be glorified in that. God, we pray as a church family we would be driven to reach those yet to know you, and God, through that you would be glorified. And we thank you for the opportunity to pray. We ask that... Um, in the life of this family of believers, that you be glorified as our way of life, not only here this morning, 
Um, but in all we do, say, think. God, we love you. We pray that you grow that love in us today. We trust you. Uh, help us do that more and more as a way of life. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. I would tell you, or I will tell you now, not I would, um, it is a sweet gift to be able to serve alongside uh, brothers in Christ who you actually call friends and um, who are committed to pastoral work here, who are committed to the flock, committed to their households at home, as well as those yet to be reached. And I am grateful to be able to serve alongside. I'm grateful to approach an elder meeting with, uh, with excitement and joy and to be able to say, I get an opportunity to be able to be alongside um, uh, some men of God who are deeply committed to the Lord's glory here in the local church. This past week we met and, and we're working through this uh, Paul Tripp lead book, which I highly recommend, encourage you to read whether you are in leadership or not, but um, discuss the book and then we, we're uh, around my fire pit at home and then I think we spent about 45 minutes or an hour just praying for you, many of you by name. Uh, praying for the ministries here, because this is the work of the shepherd. It's not just business. It's, it's gospel work, praying for your souls and praying for your hearts, and I'm grateful to do alongside uh, those guys and continuing to pray for the Lord to be at work in and through us, giving us a unity among the plurality as we seek to glorify uh, the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. If you've got a Bible, get to First uh, Peter 4. Toward the back of your Bible before the first, second, and third Johns. Uh, this is our final week in our Life and Community series. It's been, I pray it's been an encouragement to your faith in Christ and your sense of how we walk out the community of faith here at Cross Point. Welcome, Sun Chasers. I'm thankful you're with us. Parents, well done in attending and being here, being active disciple makers in the next 35 minutes or 30 minutes or so. Well done. Well done. Uh, Sun Chasers is uh, back in session next Sunday. So I'm thankful you're with us today. As we finish this series, uh, 1 Peter 4, and this chapter is going to encourage us in three realms of life and community, the realm of sin, the realm of serving and loving others, and also how we walk through suffering together. And as we approach these verses, I think for many of us, we are asking uh, three questions as it relates to sin, serving, and suffering. As we read and work through chapter 4, we'll see the Lord respond to us as, as we bring these questions to the Lord. We say, well, first of all, can I hold on to sin and still follow Jesus? And the Lord will tell us, no, be, be finished with sin. Be finished with it. We say, can I live for myself? Can I make this life about me? And the Lord will tell us, no, love and serve others. It's not about you. And then we also say, can can I avoid suffering in this life? And the Lord will tell us, don't be surprised at suffering, but rejoice. And as we put to death sin and serve others and walk through suffering together in life and community, I pray that this chapter will encourage us. So verses 1 and 2, Peter first deals with sin. Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same understanding, because the one who suffers in the flesh is finished with sin. In order to live the remaining, remaining time in the flesh, no longer for human desires, but for God's will. In light of a suffering Savior, in light of the pain that Jesus went through for our sin, in light of the brutal death that He died for us, 
we then better understand how we are to put off or put to death sin in our lives. He was put to death in his body. And so we arm ourselves with the same attitude, the same attitude that understands sin is not taken lightly, that there are consequences to sin. And the Lord has called us to live as a new way or in a new way as his people. The idea of arming yourself is a military term. Peter tells us to arm yourselves also with the same understanding, the same understanding of Jesus toward sin. And Jesus was sinless. When tempted by the enemy, he resisted and avoided falling to temptation. And so we, as his people, we take on the same attitude that says, no, I'm a new creation in Christ now. I'm not going to go down that path of sin. I'm turning from that. Peter says that, says that elsewhere uh, in 1 Peter 1, verses 14 through 16, he says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. But as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. And through faith alone and by grace alone, believers in Christ are made holy and given the righteousness of Christ. So we walk in a new way. We walk toward a growing holiness because that's who we already are in Christ. So when our flesh says, can't I still hold on to sin? Peter says, no, don't be finished with sin. That doesn't mean we no longer sin, but it does mean that we, when we do sin, we're not going to sit in it. We're not going to remain in it. We're going to have a growing contempt for our sin. And this is a, a moment by moment, day by day, minute by minute potentially, choices that we make and be encouraged by this truth, brothers and sisters. In Christ, we've been set free from the power of sin. Listen to Romans 6, 7. For when he died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. So do you have a nagging sin in your life? Consider something that the Spirit brings to mind. Christ has set you free from its power. He set you free from its power. When you're tempted to think, when the enemy wants you to think that it somehow rules over you, be reminded the power has been broken. The penalty has been removed. Galatians 2.20, that you've been crucified with Christ. You no longer live, but now He lives in and through you. You live by faith in the Son of God. He set you free. Peter goes on in verses 3 and 4, for there was... For there has already been enough time spent in doing what the Gentiles choose to do, carrying on in unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless idolatry. They are surprised that you don't join them in the same flood of wild living, and they slander you. Peter's writing to people like you and me who have a past where our flesh ruled our lives. And you'll notice that in the culture of Peter's day, it's not much different than our own day. Because the world's been broken and, and sin-stained since Genesis 3. So the things that were in the past that Peter, uh, in the past and the lives that Peter's writing to are also in our past. And so Peter's addressing the tension that gets created as it relates to community when a person gets saved. Prior to coming to faith in Christ, your, your community often was surrounded by those who were unsaved and lost as well. But now, in Christ, you've been brought into a new spiritual family, an eternal family, 
brothers and sisters who are seeking to be devoted to Jesus Christ. And so especially when you might be the first one in your family coming to faith, you might be the first one in your friend group, your first one among those who you work with, where you're beginning to follow Christ and trust in Him, you're going to feel this tension that you're saved now, you're a new, new creation in Christ, you have a desire to see your unsaved friends and family, co-workers, workers come to faith in Christ. But at the same time, you don't want to slip into your old creation ways. And so when you live in that tension of you're in the world as a missionary, but you don't want to be of the world, reflecting the world and its ways, it's going to lead you at times to tell people, say, I can't come over. I can't hang out. I can't do, I need to leave. I can't do what I used to do. It's going to lead you to draw God-glorifying boundaries. And they're going to be surprised at those decisions because you used to let the flesh rule the day. But now you've been made new in Christ. So your outward way of life reveals that new inward identity. And when you choose to separate or draw those God-glorifying boundaries so you don't walk back out, back down into the lion's den of temptation, Peter says you're going to be slandered. You'll often be slandered. That you will experience people gossiping about you because you're unwilling to follow them down the same path of sin that you used to follow them down with. And some of you are right there. You understand that reality. That you're experiencing this kind of response from people in your, your friend group, your family, your coworkers. And in those moments, especially being new to faith, you might be thinking, well, can't I have it both ways? I mean, can't I still hold on to sin and follow Jesus? Or can't I just act this way with this group and act this way on Sunday mornings? And can't I just live this hypocritical life? And, and God's Word is saying, no, be finished with sin because that's not who you are anymore. It's not who you are anymore. You've been made new. And be encouraged that you're not alone in your repentance. You've got a family around you who are also seeking to walk in a posture of repentance, humility before the Lord, who are praying for you, encouraging you, who are available with you to where we can confess sin, walk in the light, walk toward life itself in Christ. This is why it's so vital that you cultivate friendships with other brothers and sisters in the community of faith where we follow Jesus together. Verses 5 and 6, they will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was also preached to those who are now dead, so that although they might be judged in the flesh according to human standards, they might live in the spirit according to God's standards. This is a sobering reminder that this life is not the end that there is an eternity that awaits all of us and that God will judge according to how we have responded to the gospel of His Son. God will judge the living and the dead because both the living and the dead have been given the gospel and therefore have a choice to respond to it or reject it, to receive it or dismiss it. For some of you, you're in a place of continuing to resist or reject the good news that Jesus has come to save you. Today, stop resisting it. Stop resisting it. Receive it. It's a free gift that He purchased on your behalf. Stop resisting His love and grace. Put your trust and faith in Him today. So when we are tempted to think we can hold on to sin, remember that God calls us to be finished 
with sin because His Son finished it on the cross. He finished it. Finished it through His suffering so, so that we might die to sin and live for His glory and purposes alone. And to walk that lifelong pursuit out, the Lord has given us one another in the community of faith to live with and to encourage each other. Now, Peter's going to move in toward this area of loving and serving others, and before he does, he gives us some encouragement that our community should be marked by prayerfulness. He says, verse 7, the end of all things is near, therefore be alert and sober-minded for prayer. We live in light of the second coming of Christ, that this world is not the end, the biblical reality that Jesus will return one day, not as a tender baby, but as a king, as judge. We don't know the time, the day of his return. So the scriptures say, be ready, be ready. And so whether it's the second coming of Christ or, or our own death, we know that the end of all things is near. So knowing that our lives are finite, that none of us escape death, knowing the Bible promises that Jesus will return, he says, therefore... Be sober, be alert, of sober mind, so that you may pray. Meaning when you're praying, you're expecting God to be God. You're expecting Him to work and move. And so you're remaining watchful for how you will see Him answer. The opposite of sober is to be drunk. When you're drunk, you're disconnecting from reality. You're trying to escape something in your reality for a momentary stretch of time. So to say that we should be of sober mind means that we are fully aware of reality, that this, life, this earthly life is not the end, and that Jesus can return at any time, so we pray in light of those, of those realities. So part of life in community is prayerfulness, to help one another be of sober mind, to be alert, to not fall asleep. And so there should be a spirit of prayerfulness in our households, in our ministry teams, in our community groups, even in this gathering before and afterwards, the spirit of prayerfulness with one another. Verse 8, then, above all, maintain constant love for one another since love covers a multitude of sins. When Peter writes above all, in a sense, he's saying most supremely or of supreme importance, love each other deeply. Maintain constant love for each other. One person has said love is capable of of being commanded because it's not primarily an emotion. It's a decision of the will leading to action. So is your love for one another leading you to action with those closest to you, with those who you call brothers and sisters in the family of God? Love covers over a multitude of sins. And if you're in Christ, if you've experienced the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness of the Lord, you know what it means to have Him cover your sin. But we are not simply loved by Him for our benefit, for our good. We are loved by Jesus so that we might turn and love others out of that overflow. One who is aware that they've been forgiven of much will be quick to extend that same kind of forgiveness to others. The one who falsely thinks they have earned the love of God, they have earned His forgiveness through their works, will then falsely turn to those around them and say, no, you need to earn and work for my forgiveness as well, or earn my love for you. But, but we're gospel people. 
It's by grace alone, through faith alone. So God's people should be the most gracious people on the planet because we are the ones who are fully aware of how much we have been forgiven of. Our love needs to be the kind of love that covers each other's sins. The Christ-like love that removes the hostility, that, that bridges the gap that sin creates. It says, I know I've wronged you or you've wronged me, but may our relationship not be defined by previous sin. Because we're gospel people, so we're going to let the good news of Jesus Christ define our relationship and allow love to cover the multitude of sins. I don't need to tell you this, but I guess I will anyways, that you'll be sinned against by brothers and sisters in Christ. And you will sin against brothers and sisters in Christ. You're among an imperfect family of God, including me and including you. I've been sinned against by brothers and sisters in the family of God, for instance, who, who I trusted my, my soul or my heart with, and then they turned and gossiped about it, or they turned and slandered. I've also sinned against others in the family of God. In those moments, in those relationships, we can either let the sin define us or we can let the gospel define us. The gospel which says love covers a multitude of sins. If we are to love one another deeply, we must move the focus away from how we have been hurt or how we have hurt others and on to the love of Christ that covers our sin that He said it is finished on the cross. His sacrifice is sufficient, past, present, and future sin that we will not allow our heart to respond to sin in fleshly ways, but instead we will cover it because that's what Christ did for us on the cross. Verse 9, be hospitable to one another without complaining. If we love one another deeply, hospitality will be one result of that love. We will be generous to guests in our home. We will open our homes. We will use our kitchen tables and our living rooms for relationships and for the Lord's purposes. In this letter, Peter refers to us as aliens or strangers in this world, but in the family of God, there are no strangers. So in a world that is sometimes hostile to our faith or in a world where we experience trouble, we need each other. We need to gather in homes. When, when we are most prone to isolate ourselves is probably times where we most need to gather. We most need to move toward people in homes with one another. And then Peter continues to encourage us to live, to serve, and love others. And that's where he goes in verses 10 and 11. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the very grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To Him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. We serve others with the spiritual gifts that God has given to us. And if you're in Christ, you've been gifted. You have spiritual gifts. You also have abilities and experiences and passions that God wants to use to serve others. We are managers of the gifts that God has given to us. We are called to be good stewards of those gifts and not use them for our glory, but for God's. A common misconception is that the only people who minister in the church are the pastors or the staff. But we see over and over in the New Testament, these verses being an example that the body of Christ is at its 
healthiest, most God-glorifying, most engaged in the body of Christ is serving. There are no bench players in the local church. Everyone is out on the field or on the court doing what the Lord has called them to do. If you're in Christ, you've got the Spirit. You've got the, ser- the Spirit, so serve others as the Spirit leads you. I mean, can't we hold on to sin? Can't, can't we just play this kind of dual life and God's Word says, no, be finished with sin. And He's given us one another in the community of faith to encourage us in that repentance. Can't we live for ourselves? Can't we make this life about us? And No, instead, we are to love and serve others for God's glory. And finally, we might say to ourselves, can't we avoid suffering? And to that question, Peter writes verses 12 through 19. So 12 and 13 say this, Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you, as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may also rejoice with great joy when His glory is revealed. He begins with, Dear friends, Your translation may say, beloved. This is the tone of the section dealing with suffering. That in the midst of suffering, don't forget that you are dearly loved by the Lord. He has not forsaken you. Peter's writing with great affection and love for those who are reading and listening to this letter. He's writing to bring earthly comfort and an eternal perspective. And the first thing Peter tells us is don't be surprised when you hit suffering. Problems and trials are a part of life. Again, you already know that. I already know that. But sometimes we can think, hey, wait, I'm obeying Jesus. I shouldn't have to walk through this. And we treat our relationship with Christ as if it's a contract. Lord, I I did X, Y, and Z, so this should happen. I should avoid trouble. I should avoid fiery ordeal. But Peter says, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you. In the midst of suffering, we identify with Jesus, which doesn't remove the earthly pain. But it does bring us comfort, knowing we are not alone in our suffering. Jesus was the suffering servant who suffered for us. Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected. When we experience earthly suffering, such as rejection, we know that we're not alone in that. Because we have something far better than a contract. We have a covenant. We have a covenant with the Lord. Jesus went first. Or we also know that when we experience the pain of loss, Jesus wept when Lazarus passed. passed. He went first. And while we share in His suffering and we experience with the cross, we identify with the cross, we also, praise God, will share in His resurrection, which is a sweet, sweet truth. The glory of the life to come, the glory that will come in His return. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17 says, Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal We need one another in community when we walk through suffering. We need one another to bear 
with each other in those times to pray for us, to remind us of the hope that we have in Christ, remind us of the promise that He has not forsaken us, remind us of promises that we are sometimes prone to forget when we suffer. And in the next few verses, Peter will give us reasons why we can rejoice even in the midst of suffering. Verse 14, if you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. We will face persecution for our faith, whether on the job or school or family. We will experience those who ridicule or reject or mock. And when we are insulted, we are blessed. The Spirit of God is resting on you. That is a great consolation. Nothing is greater than the Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead on the third day. As John Piper said, in great suffering on earth, there is great support from heaven. What you're going through may be beyond you. It's not beyond the grace of God. It's not beyond the Spirit ministering to your heart and your life. Verse 15, let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. So Peter's quick to clarify that our suffering should not be as a result of our own sin. So this is not us bringing pain upon ourselves because of our own sinful choices. Verse 16, but if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. So when we suffer as a Christian, one, re- one reason we can rejoice or praise God is that in that moment, we are identifying with our Savior, a Savior who went first, who suffered on our behalf, who demonstrated His resurrection on that third day, that He has overcome the world and that eternal life and rest and glory await those who are hidden in Him. No more tears, sorrow, suffering. Verse 17, for the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who disobey the gospel of God? And if a righteous person is saved with difficulty, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. When we suffer for being a Christ follower, it is a means by which we can bring God glory. That through our words, our attitude, our way of life, we can still proclaim that He is good, that He has not forsaken us, that we still have living hope, that a resurrection still awaits us, that our hope is securely in Him. The NLT says verse 19 this way, So if you're suffering according to God's will, Keep on doing what is right. Keep on doing what is right and trust yourself to the God who made you for he will never fail you. Peter reminds us at the end of the section that we serve a God who is faithful. He is fully and completely and eternally trustworthy. He is creator. Nothing is beyond his power, his ability. So as a result, we can entrust our lives to him. We can say, Lord, Here is my life, whether mountaintop or valley, I'm entrusting my soul and my life, my future to you. When we say, can't I hold on to sin and still follow Jesus, the Lord calls us to be finished with sin. And when we are tempted to pursue it, the Lord reminds us that the power of sin has been broken, the penalty of sin has been removed, and for those who are in Christ, one day, one sweet, sweet day, the presence of sin will be gone along with tears, suffering, and death. When we say, can't I live for myself? The Lord 
will tell us, love and serve others. Take your eyes off of yourself. And the Lord who is faithful has empowered you with the Spirit of God, gifted you so that you can glorify Him. And when we say, can't I avoid suffering in this, in this life, the Lord reminds us, don't be surprised at suffering, but rejoice. Because our Lord is faithful to His people, both in this life and in the life to come. Our Savior and Lord suffered for us that one day these temporary sufferings will end. And one day eternal joy and life is ours in Christ. Jesus, we worship you. We are grateful that you went first. We worship you for laying down your life for our sin, bearing the weight of our sin. God, thank you that you served us first. You forgave us first. You loved us first. You, you laid down your life. And God, thank you that the suffering of the cross on, the fr on a Friday is not the end of the story for you nor for those who trust in you. But on the third day, you rose from the dead. And through faith alone, we can share in that resurrection one day. May we live and arm ourselves with your attitude as we go from this place. An attitude that is finished with sin. An attitude that seeks to love and serve others. An attitude that rejoices even in suffering because we know what the end of the story brings. And we know that suffering in this life is temporary at best. So be our hope, be our strength, be our refuge. We pray this in your name. Amen. Psalm 138, I will give you thanks with all my heart. I will sing your praise before the heavenly beings. I will bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name. For your constant love and truth, you have exalted your name and your promise above everything else. On the day I called, you answered me. You increased strength within, within me. All the kings on earth will give you thanks, Lord, when they hear what you have promised. They will sing of the Lord's ways, for the Lord's glory is great. Though the Lord is exalted, He takes note of the humble, but He knows the haughty from a distance. If I walk into the thick of danger, you will preserve my life from the anger of my enemies. You will extend your hand, your right hand will save me. The Lord will fulfill His promise for me. Lord, your faithful love endures forever. Do not abandon the work of your hands. Amen.